There is no more pressing question today than, than this. That is, why did Christ come to earth? It is not enough to know who Jesus is. By and large, the world knows what Christians believe and about Jesus. But what the world wants to know is this. Why did he come and what difference does that make? Many, answer, many answers have been given to that question. Some argue that Jesus came to give us an example of God's love. Others say that he came to be the perfect man, the one shining example that can lift the rest of us up. Many people consider him the greatest teacher of all time. Still others believe he came to establish a new religion. Some scholars say that he was one of the he, he, he was a reformist rabbi who wanted to start a, a movement of purity within Israel. Against all these theories, we have the clear words of Jesus himself found in this familiar verse of Luke's Gospel. Most of us know this by heart. It's one simple sentence, it's utterly reliable, and it was spoken by Jesus himself at the occasion of encountering Zacchaeus up a tree. Verse 8 of our Gospel text, sorry, verse 10, sorry, of our Gospel text says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So let us explore this morning what we have in this simple statement that Jesus makes. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So first, we have the most magnificent historical fact. The Son of Man came. Jesus has come to earth, the Almighty has entered our world, the infinite has become finite, the eternal has invaded time. Theologians call it the Incarnation, God in human flesh. The Bible calls him Emmanuel, which is a Greek word which means God with us. His birth differs from every other birth because he voluntarily came in obedience to the Father's will. That could not be said of you or me this morning. We were born, but we had no choice in the matter. I was born in Liverpool, England, to William Sharpless Taylor and to Barbara Evelyn Taylor. I had no say in it. I'm here by the choices that my parents made. But Jesus came according to the plan of God. Galatians 4.4 says, When the time had fully come, God sent forth His Son. So every detail was precisely planned in the courts of heaven. Nothing, nothing happened by chance. He came from light into the darkness. He came from splendor into squalor. He came from purity into the world, a world of sin. But still, this morning, Jesus came. Jesus was not an angel or some sort of extraterrestrial being. The term Son of Man emphasizes Jesus' humanity. In other words, God stepped out of eternity, disguised as a human being, and entered the human race. He did that in the form of a tiny baby. He is the Son of Man because he was first the Son of God. John chapter 1, verse 14, from the Amplified Version of the Bible says, And the Word, Christ, 
became flesh, human incarnate. And tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while amongst us. A generation ago, C.S. Lewis put this doctrine into its proper perspective. He said the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares the way for this or results from this. Many times we focus on the peripheral, peripheral questions. For example, how did Jesus turn water into wine? These sort of questions distract us from the core issue. The core issue being we believe God came as a man. This is the central truth of our Christian faith. This is, this is, at, that, it is at that point this morning we, we, we theologically depart company from Islam. We theologically depart company from Judaism. Both these religions categorically reject the notion that God could somehow become one of us. But to Christians, it is impossible to speak about God without speaking about Jesus because God became a man 2,000 years ago. As C.S. Lewis says, every other miracle leads to the incarnation or results from it. At the heart of our faith is this certain truth this morning. God has come down to us in the person of Jesus. Now we know what God is like because... Jesus made him plain to us. Number two, we have the most spiritually significant mission in this statement Jesus made. The Son of Man came to seek and to save. Jesus came looking for something. Or rather, I should say, Jesus came looking for someone. What is the Lord like? He is like the woman who lost a coin and searched her house until she found it. He is like the man who lost one sheep and went out into the wilderness and left the 99 to find it. He is like the father who welcomed the prodigal son home again. He came seeking a sinner up a tree. Jesus came seeking those caught in adultery. He came seeking blind beggars and lepers. He came seeking wild men living in tombs. <coughs> He even came seeking self-righteous Pharisees and religious leaders who thought they didn't need him. He came seeking fishermen, politicians, radicals, physicians, tax collectors, rich men at the top of their game. We talked about that last week. And poor folks no one else wanted to touch. He sought out the prostitutes, the drunkards, and they loved him for that. And when he was dying, he came to seek the one hanging on the cross beside him. Jesus came as a seeking saviour. And we will never understand Jesus unless we see this clearly. Number three. We have the most perfect description of the state of humanity in this statement Jesus makes in verse 10. What was lost? What was lost? The word lost has almost gone out of style in Christian circles. We talk about being estranged from God or being confused about our purpose of life, about our need for a new beginning. All of that is very true, but it is hard to improve on the biblical word lost. Isn't that right, Natalie? 
Yep. It's so hard to improve on that word. Search the pages of God's book from cover to cover. Read everything from Adam's great sin in Genesis to the final battle in Revelation. Then pick up the morning newspaper and see if you don't agree with Jesus this morning. Humanity is lost without God. What does, what does it mean to be lost? How many of you, when your children were little and you were in some big department store or supermarket and your children decided to go off and explore without permission. Yeah? And they got lost. I remember being horribly lost at their Lilydale Agricultural Show when I was six. I can still remember I ended up at the police station. And uh, I went off exploring. You know? <laughs> it's a horrible feeling, and I understand that. We are like that. Isaiah 53 verse 6 reminds us that we have all strayed like sheep. Each one of us have turned to their own way. We are all by nature going our own way. No one has to teach us to run from God this morning. We were born running and we all want to do our own thing. We all want to go our own way. And the truth is, we don't even know we're lost until someone comes from heaven to seek us out. There is an important principle for us to consider. If Christ didn't come to us, we would never come to him. What then is our hope if we, have, if we are so hopelessly lost? We find the answer in the words of Jesus who came to seek and to save, save what was lost. He did not come as a tourist this morning. He did not come as a casual visitor. He did not come as an educator or an itinerant philosopher. Jesus came as a saviour seeking to save the lost. So what does that mean for us? What are the implications of this great statement of the mission of Christ? Well, I want to give us three thoughts this morning to consider. The first is, if Christ came, humanity's responsibility is increased. In the spiritual realm, the greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. Luke 12 48 says to whom much is given from much will be required. If Jesus had never come to earth, we would all go to hell condemned by our own guilt and our own guilty consciences. If God did nothing, the whole human race would perish because all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But that is not the situation this morning. Jesus has come to earth and God and, and made God plain to us. He left heaven to make his home amongst us, to reveal God to us, to show us true, the true nature of the Father. In him we see God's love. In him we see God's mercy. In him we see God's kindness. In him we see God's justice. In Jesus we see God's holiness. He came to us full of grace and truth, the Bible says. And what did, he, and what did we do to him? We heard his words, we saw his miracles, we listened to his voice, considered his offer, and then we put him to death. We crucified the Lord of glory. We know about Jesus. We've heard his stories over and over again. What will happen to us if we know about Jesus and still refuse him? What will be our end if, having heard the truth, we yet neglect it. 
Let me give you the scriptural answer. If we neglect Jesus after we know the truth, we will be condemned to an eternity without God forever. And here's the frightening fact. The same gospel that saves a person can also condemn a person. Consider the sun in the sky. To one planet brings life, to another it brings death. If a branch is cut off, the sun causes it to wither and die. As the sun in the sky, so the Son of Man in heaven. Number two, if Christ came to save, then the sinner is without excuse. What excuse could we give that would satisfy God? How would you explain your rejection of Jesus? What sufficient reason would you have for saying no to the Son of God? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How clear is that this morning? However, the wonderful truth is that two verses later, there's a solemn warning in verse 18 of John chapter 3. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is, is condemned already because he has not believed in the, in the name of the only Son of God. Condemned already. That's the state of the whole human race. Apart from Jesus Christ, it is already condemned. So, how bad is the problem? Here's the bottom line this morning. Sin has infected our minds. Sin has infected our emotions, our will, our intellect, our moral reasoning, our decision making. Sin has infected our words and our deeds. No part of our life is exempt from the debilitating effects of sin. Charles Swindoll said, if sin were blue, we'd be blue all over. Parts would be dark blue, parts would be sky blue, parts would be light blue. But every part would be blue in one shade or another. Therefore, if the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, what sinners need is salvation, not Reformation. What sinners need is forgiveness, not a lecture on morality. We need a new life, not a new leaf. What sinners need is Jesus and what he came to provide for us. When God gave his only son to hang on a tree like a common criminal, he gave the very best that he had. And that means you and I are without excuse. Nothing will avail but Jesus. As the old song says... What can wash my sins away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Finally, if Christ came to save the lost, then the worst may be saved. We all have a thousand skeletons rattling in our closets, don't we? We all do. Things are really what they seem to be. We cannot... Really tell by looking on the outside what's happening in a person's heart. One man said, there is no man who, if all the thoughts, all his thoughts were made public, would not deserve hanging 12 times a day. So let's repeat that solemn, joyful news of the gospel of Christ, that he came to save sinners. Luke 19.10 puts no limit on the grace of God. Corrie ten Boom, a Holocaust survivor, said... There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. In today's church, we tend to talk about salvation as a, a process or as a, a spiritual journey. We're much more comfortable with salvation coming a little bit at a time. 
our spiritual ancestors had no problem with the concept of sudden conversion. They believed that a life could be radically changed in a moment. But the Bible presents many examples of people whose lives were changed immediately. Perhaps in our um, reaction against certain emotional excesses, we have gone possibly too far. The pendulum has swung too far. While it's true that long-held patterns of behaviour may not change overnight, and while we need time to grow spiritually, it's also true that our sins may be forgiven immediately. One man said, you may, you may have come to church without Jesus, but you don't have to leave here without him. You may have come guilty, but you can go home forgiven. And that's the power of the gospel, to create a miracle of conversion inside the human heart. So God has more grace in his heart than you and I have sin in our lives. Jesus is a better saviour than we are a, a sinner. And you and I, we don't have to be in the prison of our past. In Christ, we can rise above the past and live lives that bring great glory to God. In Christ, we can do those things. And I'm always caught up and stopped in my tracks when we sing that hymn together, To God Be the Glory. It's one of my favourite hymns. And there's a line in that hymn that encourages me every time we sing it. The vilest offender who truly believes the moment from Jesus a pardon receives. All I have been trying to say this morning is wrapped up in that sentence. The vilest offender who truly believes the moment from Jesus a pardon receives. If we understand our sin as an offence against the Almighty God, then we are equally qualified as the vilest offender. When we believe in Jesus, in that very moment, our sins are pardoned. Sometimes it's hard to believe that. I have had thoughts that I would rather die than have been to be spoken aloud. There are deeds I have done that I would never mention in public, but I am not alone in that. How many here would be okay? Uh, would, would, how many here would, would be the first to say, yeah, okay, go ahead and play back the unedited transcript of my life? There's no one. There's no one. Because there are things better left unsaid and thoughts better left unspoken, aren't there? So humanity is adrift in the same boat. And apart from the grace of God, that boat is going down. But there is good news. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. And if that's true, then the worst amongst us can be saved. And that includes me and that includes you as well. We all labour under terrible, a terrible sense of sins committed. Our duties left undone of careless, cutting words we wish we could take back of deliberate greed, of foolish choices made in haste, but it's the glory of the gospel that no matter how bad our sin may be, because of Jesus, we can be made right with God. Our past does not determine our future when Jesus enters the picture. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you.
that you came to seek and to save a lost sinner like me, and for the amazing love and grace you have bestowed upon me. Thank you for forgiving my sins, for bringing salvation into my heart, and for making it your dwelling place. Keep me humble in heart, meek in spirit, and submissive to your Holy Spirit. And may I be used to your great glory in all I say and do today and tomorrow and for the rest of the week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.